Good morning. We are beginning with Parashat Beha'alotecha. Tough word to say. Beha'alotecha. With a stretched lamed. Because if you look in the, in the book, under the lamed, there's a little line. You see that? Yeah. So that tells you that the accent, one of the accents of the word has to go on that lamed. Beha'alotecha. Okay. Um, the parasha is fascinating And we're going to need to actually Learn it well together Because there are so many questions I personally have That are, are, <laughs> I've yet to understand What I do know about the parasha And it's not from me But it's from what I've been reading Is that This week's parasha represents the turning point From B'nai Israel preparing To start moving in the desert To B'nai Israel actually getting on the way yeah. The whole first part of Bemidbar is filled with hope and excitement that Bnei Israel are, are organizing themselves in the perfect orderly way to walk into Eretz Israel with God. Mm-hmm. But the general rule is man plans and God laughs. So the second half of the parasha actually says what actually happened once they started going on the way. So we're going to see a major transition, a fundamental transition between Part one of our parasha and part two, which is part one is still the finishing of all the things of preparing the camp for moving, starting with the menorah, which is one of Aharon's duties. And maybe because the word Chanukat HaMenorah, it could, is, is lighting the menorah, it could be related to Chanukat HaMizbeach. It's as if the Mizbeach is the duty of the people and the menorah is the duty of Aharon. So once the people finished the, the, the inauguration of Mizbeach and last week's parasha, then now, Aharon again, again is now doing to the, right. Uh, now we're doing Aharon. We're going next to the Kohen to Aharon, who will light the menorah twice a day with the korban tamid or whatever, however what way it's done according to the halacha. After the menorah, we discuss not the duties of the levim, but what actually occurred when the levim were brought into the service. Meaning, we could talk all we want about what their service is. But there was also a process of bringing the Levi'im on board. And that onboarding process is, actually takes up a nice chunk of yes. the next half. Yes. Yeah, it takes Again. all the way until Again, the Shlishi. From Kohen, Levi, and then we go to Israel. Correct. And then there's a fascinating story about the, the people who were Tameh and couldn't do the Korban Pesach. The first Korban. The only reason, I, I don't know what it's doing here. It was because we are, right now, we are right before Pesach. Oh, I actually do know what it's doing here. Uh, um, I know what it, yeah, you're right. It's because we are, we are. We said we are the second year and we are at month of Nisan when we finish. We're, we're kind of, because at the beginning of Bemidbar, we're actually in the second month of the second year. So we, we in the beginning of Bemidbar jumps from the first month of the second year. From the second month of the second year to the first month to Nisan, then back to the second month. So, so we're, yeah. we're in that basic... We are in the... Somewhere Pesach, at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're yeah. in the big Pesach season. Yes. Uh, so it would make sense why it would talk about the Korban Pesach, the people that were Tameh and had were to... urging to do the mitzvah also. They said, what right. about us? And it could also be, by the way, that... And now I'm just thinking this out loud, that... Once, what did we do? What was the korban to signify leaving Egypt? The, korban Pesach. Yes. 
Now, as we are starting to, to move. move again, again, maybe we remind ourselves about the halachot of the Korban Pesach yes, for that reason. Uh, maybe. I'm, nice. I'm just... Uh, this is part of the Exodus. Yeah, I'm just proposing that. And then there are halachot about that. And then, it after that, basically, it talks about the final steps... The cloud, how the cloud, when the cloud would stop, it would stop when the cloud would go, it would go. And then the chatzot serot, or the trumpets that they would use to gather the camp and announce to the camp to go. And then... That's where we learn for Rosh Hashanah. Yeah, and then, basically, after all of that, they start moving again, but this time it's filled with uh, problems and complaints. (laughs) Now, one of the things we're going to do in this week's parasha... First of all, besides for understanding the basic structure, which is pretty simple. Mm-hmm. First half of our parasha talks about is finishing off the topic of Bimidbar so far. Okay, so you could say the first 11 chapters practically of Bimidbar are one unit, just preparing the camp for leaving. The second half is what happens to Bnei Israel as they leave Har Sinai. And what we're going to have to analyze is if you will look at the stories, and this is probably going to be what we do on Sunday, but if you look at the stories at the end of our parasha, they bear a significant resemblance to the stories we saw in Parashat Beshalach when we left Egypt. There are stories of complaining for food, yes. which we've seen before. Everything is happening again. Yeah, there, there's a lot so that's it's happening a, it's a, it's again. It's a second exodus, So, in a way. And what's fascinating is that first year was around Pesach. And this again is... And this year it's around the same time as Pesach. And we're going to see the stories repeat themselves. Now, what will be the difference between the stories in Bishalach, the complaints for food when we just left Egypt, and the complaints for food now that we're leaving uh, Har Sinai. The difference is the Bnei Israel have gotten the Torah. Yes. So if you remember, whenever we were and studying... And they know that the Shekhinah of Hashem is with and them. And they know the Shekhinah is with them. <laughs> so now, if you remember when we were studying Shemot, we, weren't, we didn't find such issue with Bnei Israel's complaints. We saw, you know, they're young, it's hard, there's no water, there's no food. After 200 and something but years, now, they're moving. Yeah, exactly. So the complaints... Um, it was understandable. Moshe didn't get upset and Hashem didn't get upset. It was understandable. Now, yeah. there's a lot to get upset about. Hey, you saw, you have experience. So, so we're going to you... see the same... And I think the text is doing that on purpose to show us these are the same behaviors, the same experiences. They haven't, they haven't learned. But this time it's a year later and they haven't learned. And that's where the problems are going to stem from. So that's going to be the theme of the parasha. I basically just gave you the whole Sunday issue so right practically, now. Practically in, uh, what you're telling... You're saying is that here we learn that they were not these these people did not have already were not supposed to go into Israel because they were not they didn't trust in Hashem. The whole um, not going into Israel. Look, Parashat Shelach is next yeah, week, right? yeah, it's from the spies. But here already it shows that there right. is there is a. You know what I think about the spies, the people. First of all, we're going to study the spies next week. You will see that the people's complaints played a very significant role in, in the spies. Because whenever the spies come back, it is they announce that the people are strong and this and that. And then who is the one that responds by losing their minds and starting crying? People. The people. Right? People. So we already see... People had so, no trust, no so trust in Hashem. The way you have to actually read the Torah the is... The same way that he's not, they don't have trust right now in Hashem, yeah, like you're saying at the yeah. end of this parasha. So, so the way you actually have to read the parasha is you have to see from this second part of Behalotecha, when the people start complaining, 
it's, all the way until the spies, it's, it's, together it's with the all spy. one, one long explanation yes. of why B'nai Israel are just not ready to go into the land. It, That's this, the real theme. Yes. If you want to really understand the book of Bimidbar on the whole, it's, it's a discussion of what took us so long, why we didn't go into Bimidbar. So the first part of Bimidbar is actually narrative, which is what we're doing, what we're going to do in the second half of Ba'alotecha. So they, they were not for them. Hashem the the first know. part that's narrative is going to first introduce us to the original sin of B'nai Israel, of why they couldn't go into the land, and then explanations of byproducts of that sin. So for example, you ever realize that the, the rebellion of Korach, what parashah does it come after? Mm-hmm. Shelach. Yes. So why do you think Korach would rebel? Well, he could make up that because you're taking the duties of the Levi. But the simple reason is that Korach was rebelling because Moshe failed to take them into the land. Yes. So there is a lot, if you read it as a, a storyline. When they found out the, the news that they cannot go into yeah, the land. It causes a lot of civil unrest, yes, right? Yes. So if you read it as a, if you carefully read the whole thing as a storyline, as, as, a, as a well-told story, uh, it starts off with hope and promise that B'nai Israel are going to travel to Israel. Everything is order. The trumpets are announcing people Everything are coming. Everything is organized. It's Everything is organized. organized. But then you let the people's wow. passions come in the way, and they have not changed. And uh, despite all of the changes you made on the outside, on the inside, the people have not changed since one year ago before, from before they received the Torah. Nothing. And for that reason, they can't go into the land. And for that reason, people are going to get upset, and they're going to complain, and they're going to have all of the problems. Of, of being in the desert for 40 years That is the story of Bimidbar So uh, yeah I just gave you One <laughs> so I gave you like three Sunday shiurim and, and, uh, But oh, now let's go back And learn the text inside This is beautiful uh, We are on chapter 8 We're just yes. starting the parasha We didn't actually start the parasha We're starting with the Chanukat HaMenorah Which I already said Is part of the process Of inaugurating the temple Yes The people did the Mizbeach and the end of last week's parasha, that's what Naso ended with. And now Aharon has to do his duty, which is the menorah. Speak to Aharon and say to him, When you light the candles, To the middle of the menorah, the light shall light. By the way, the word is a difficult word because it literally means when you cause the candles to rise up. So there are a lot of midrash on this. For example, one opinion says, for this reason, whenever he was lighting the menorah, you have to hold the fire there until you know the, the candle, the light went up. You can't pull back and then let, let the light come by itself. You have to hold it, until it, wait for the light to catch, and then you could go. Uh, another opinion based on the surah beha lotecha is for this, this way you know, from this word you know, it means to elevate, right? So from here you know that there was a pedestal in front of the menorah that Aaron would stand on. There's a lot of, you could look in Rashi, you'll see a lot of the Mirashim. It's a, it, it is a unique word. Um, also, we, all the lights and, were going towards the that, center, everything. Right, on top of that, I think even for, the, for Mitzvah Chanukah, one of the opinions that says you have to go up and counting, one, two, three, I think may even base it on the word Beha'alotecha, when you go up with the candles. All right. Or whenever you raise up the candles. Pasuk 3. Aharon did so. To the middle of the base of the menorah, he lit the candles. What does it mean that he lights it towards the middle of the menorah? What does that mean? Everything was going, all the, all the flames were going towards exactly. the middle. Exactly. The flames go towards the middle. Yes, okay? the so Aaron, and I'll explain exactly how that works in a second. But Aaron did, did so. To the middle of the menorah, he lit the candles. As, Moshe, as God commanded Moshe. And this 
was the making of the menorah. It was made out of a piece of gold. Adirechah, from its base. Adpirchah, to its flowers. Mikshah, was all out of one piece of gold. Exactly as God had told Moshe, so was the menorah. So he, did, he made the menorah. So basically the way you would light the menorah is, let's say the, these cups that are holding the oil are pretty large, right? Sure. So the, the peshat of what it means to light the candles towards the middle of the face of the menorah or facing the middle of the menorah is that whenever you put the wicks in the cup, you put the wick so that it's sticking out towards the middle, okay? So every single wick, meaning on, let's say you have that last cup, that last cup on the side, the wick isn't going, it's not facing out. No, it's facing in- the inwards. The wick is facing inwards. So now, it's a fascinating thing, and it seems to be the Peshat, because it says, El-Mul Peneha Minoraya Iru Shivat Anerot. What does it mean towards the face here? How does it translate this? It says, Shall give light in front of the candlestick. To the face of the menorah should the lights give light. Yes. So what does that mean? So, so the symbolism, the, the general rule is that Bore Olam, where is the Mishkan? The Mishkan uh, what is Mishkan? Sorry, not, not where. What is the Mishkan? Mishkan is God's house. Yes. So what the symbolism is there is that God's house doesn't need light. Meaning we're not lighting the menorah to provide light to God's home. Because God doesn't need light. It's for ourselves. The idea is that the candle... And it's a hard concept to grasp. I actually wrote it down. Um, the menorah is the archetype of... Oh, that's very interesting. So the idea is, is God's house does not need light, right? And it also means that... It's a beautiful Devar Torah, but I'm trying to phrase it better. Whenever you want to have influence on people, there are two ways to do it. You could do it through violence, you know, you could attack and force conversion, or you could work on yourself internally, and then people will be drawn towards your yes, life. You're gonna right? be, you're gonna be, you're gonna be the example. Yeah. So the idea, which I heard, which I think is beautiful, is if the candles are facing out, it represents an aggressive approach to spreading wisdom and light. But wisdom and light does not need to be faced out, as long as it's lit people will be drawn in. Wow. So the facing of the light in is to say that there are other religions that they proselytize and they go out and they, they, they with violence, they, they force, force their religion force. to be accepted. But Yahadut, we see the light as facing in, meaning we don't need to shine our light in people's faces. We just need the light to shine internally and then this people our, will be drawn in. This is our duty. We have, in the, for the world, we have, we have the example and they have right. to learn from us. And so, so that was one of the, the beautiful shine. symbolisms of the way the menorah was lit. Next, Pasuk. Pasuk. Hashem spoke to Moshe saying, This, I'm going to skim through this uh, process mm-hmm. of, of, of uh, mm-hmm. bringing the Levim into the service, but that's basically what this next part, is long part is about, is bringing the Levim into the service of the Mishkan. Bring the, take the Levim from Bnei Israel and you shall sanctify them. Mm-hmm. And this is how you sh- what you should do to purify, not, not sanctify, but purify. This is what you should do to purify them. You should sprinkle on them waters of sin. What is the waters of sin? It's probably referring to the red, yes. to the para aduma. Yes. This is the red heifer that is to 
cleanse them of their impurity of touching the dead. Because if they're going to do service in the Mikdash, they, they need to be, be pure from the, the Tumat Mint. And they should shave all of their skin, mm-hmm. all of their hair, and they will wash their clothes and they will become pure. What does it remind you of when you should shave your hair? This is the Nazir. Also, I also when the, the, the Mitzorah. The mitzorah. The mitzorah before, and the same way the Mitzorah, whenever we're bringing him in back into the camp, it's part of the purif- yes, purification, purification process. Correct, the he needs to shave his hair. So shaving hair in the Torah is a purification, is a purification method. Okay? So the Levim do it, the Mitzorah does it. And by the way, uh, the level of Tumah of the Mitzorah so is also, also comparable so also for to the, the level of... the same thing. <laughs> for the woman, in what sense? For the mitzvah? Because when you fi- when you're in a, in, a, in a war and you find a girl, you have to shave her oh, hair. And oh, you have oh, no, 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 no. That, that's that's uh, Sunday parasha class five seven eight two. We're not up to that yet. That's a beautifying process. So, so that's no, not, he's that's talking. Not, that's not a pure on our, in our Sunday class, they were trying to make a connection between what was the connection between eshetifat yeah, yeah, and the nizira. Nizira, yes. And then the nizira, I said, not the don't woman. get that far. We need to think about it. And we said next year we'll actually address. That potential connection. I'm not convinced it's a, it's a connection yet, to be honest. I wouldn't, I, I, I'm not yet convinced because there is ritual shaving of the hair which is meant to purify. And then as Adam was saying, it seems like the Eshetifat Torah is more of a... For the beauty. I'm not sure. I'm not even sure about that, by the way. I'm not sure the point is to make her ugly. I think the point may be to humanize her, but, but whatever. Let's not even get yeah, to in that. In a certain way, you don't, don't get blinded by their looks. You know, okay, you know, whatever it is. We'll, we'll discuss it, we'll discuss it when we get to Kitetse. Okay, okay, five. Maybe we could even discuss Kitetse 5781. You know, <laughs> maybe sooner than anything, but I, I don't want to get into now. So we sprinkle upon them the waters of, let's say, the Para Aduma, yes. and they shall purify themselves. They will take a cow and they will take also with it a mincha, which would be a solet, which is like the, the flour offering that's mixed with oil. By the way, which flour offering was not mixed with oil? The one from uh, last week. Ah, um, so ta, good. Okay, so you're so on your ta. toes. Yes. It's testing all the time. <laughs> and they should take a second cow as a khatat. Now, in the pasuk, what's missing? The it says they should take a cow Yes And then they should take its mincha The meal offering And then they should take another cow for a khatat Yes So what's they're missing? missing the, the doves? No, we're missing the for the No, we're, we're missing What is that first offering going to be? Oh The pasuk The pasuk doesn't say what it's yes. for So what right. would you think? If you based on all of our studies of Korbanon so far, uh, this is like the mitzora. When you coming back, you have to. So we typically brought, we typically bring in pair. The pair that always comes together is Ola and Chatat. Yes. So that is the peshat is that the first cow is going to be Ola, and the second one is a Chatat. Wow, okay. So Pasuk nine. And you bring the levim close to the tent of meeting. And you'll gather all of the people of Bnei Israel. Everybody has Notice what's, what's happening. This is a public ceremony yes. and it's not by accident. Yes. One of the problems we're going to see over and over in Bamidbar is the inability of Bnei Israel to, to accept, accept the leadership of Moshe. That's going to be a major issue. So at least when we're beginning to inaugurate the Levim, this is a process that's public. Why else would it be public, by the way? Why else, besides for driving to, the point to, home, to, to make, obviously we want to make it accepted by Am Israel. So we make the, the, the process of inaugurating the Levim a public process. Fine. 
There's another reason though Why it has to be a public process Because where did the Levim come from? They came instead of whom? The first, the first born. Instead of the firstborn. Yes. So really, Levim are a representative of all of Ben Israel. All of Ben Israel, yes. It was correct. supposed to be the firstborn. Correct. And now the Levim are taking place, the place of the firstborn. So, so now they, they, are, they belong also to the Olam Israel. Exactly. So they belong to Am they're Israel. The, the Korban so of whenever Israel. the Levim are being brought to the sanctuary to inaugurate them, it's Everybody. like Am Israel has to give them yes. over. That's really what's happening here. Okay. You bring the Levim before God. And Bnei Israel put their hands on the Levim. See, now you see why. It's like, it's like, whenever, it's like a, look at this, look at this. When, when else? You have, when you have a cow. When, when you have a, right, exactly. When, el, when else do I put my hands on a Korban? When you want to when bring the, the korban, korban yes. my korban, the korban of the, of the when I offer a korban to the mikdash, I put my hands on it, yes. and thing. so same thing with same. Bnei Now, how did all of Bnei Sel put their hands on the levim? How did you, no, it, uh, the, answer, the answer is that it's just the leaders of Bnei Sel. It's not. It's the, not the, the twelve leaders. That's yeah, it. probably yes, the twelve yes, leaders. Pasuk eleven. Aaron will wave the levim as a wave offering before God. The Peshat doesn't seem I to mean, be that he would hold they? them. <laughs> I, I, I know, I know you're going to ask that. He waved them a wave offering before God, Bnei Israel, in front of Bnei Adonai, And thereby they would be fit for serving the service of God. Then the Levim need to bring their own atonement. So it's like a three-way uh, step here, right? So the Levim now put their hands on the cows. One of them was in Allah. One of them was Ola. See, now, here it's explicit. Now it's, 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 yeah. uh, you make one of them Chata, one of them Ola, as, as atonement for the Levim. And you will stand the Levim before Aharon and before his sons. And you will wave them as a wave offering before God. This seems to be the second time that's being done. So once before the Korbanot, once after the Korbanot. Then you will separate the Levim from Bnei Israel and they will be for me. Then the Levim will come to do the work in the, in the Oil You will sanctify them and you will do one last wave offering. So I said that on purpose because it's, it, uh, there are three times where it says the Levim must be waved. The Chachamim say that's, it, that's because there are three, three families times. of Levim. There are three families oh, so of Levim. For each, for each, for yeah. each one, they made, oh, for each nice. one, there was a specific wave offering. And why are we doing all of this? Because the Levim are given to me from Bnei Israel. Instead of the firstborns of Bnei Israel, I've taken them from me. So the process is an interesting one. It's a, it's a public ceremony for two reasons. One, in order to drive the point home that the Levim are chosen by God. But two, because the Levim represent the firstborns, so they represent all of Bnei or they're, they're being taken from all of Bnei Israel. And for that reason, they almost, this process of inaugurating them almost looks like a korban being brought yes. by an individual. It's like a korban exactly. being exactly. brought by Pnei Sal. Baruch Amen. 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 Amen